else compares. I'm glad to see you on the house of the Lord this evening once again. Now, before we enter into uh, our series or enter into the Word, which, you know, is part two tonight, I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer, ask that He anoint me and ask that He anoint you as well, that He reward us for just uh, taking the time to come into His presence. And pray that we just have ears to hear and hearts to receive. Amen. Father God, we thank you that this is your house. And that we are welcome in it, Father God. I'm thankful, Father God, that you've welcomed each and every one of us into your presence tonight. And I'm thankful, Father God, for those that accepted that invitation to come into your house and to sit at your feet and to just be a part of what you want to do, God, in their lives. So I pray that you would bless each one that came out this evening. God, that you would bless them with truth and that you would bless them with your word, that you would bless them with your spirit and your anointing. God, give them ears to hear and hearts to listen. I pray that you would give me the same. I pray that you would touch my mind, that you would arrest it this evening, Father God. That you would touch my mouth and my words, that they would come forth with clarity and with truth, Father God. And that they would be ordered by your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that we would just be challenged and moved and changed by your word this evening. And that we would become more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Tonight we're going to look at Genesis, latter part of Genesis 18 into Genesis 19. It was kind of a two-part series that I started with last week. The title of my message last week was The Two Hands of God. We looked at Genesis 18. We looked at the hand of blessing and we looked at the hand of curses uh, that God holds in his hand. One hand that was extended to Abraham with blessings 
And the other hand that was about to be extended towards the city of Sodom with judgment and with wrath. So if you weren't here last week, that's kind of what we looked at. And I usually just, I'm going to take a quick brief moment to just get us up to speed. And we talked about one hand of God that was extended to his friend, Abraham, and another hand that was about to be extended to his foe. We realized last week and need to understand that each one of those hands holds something absolutely different. One holds blessings and one holds curses, but they're both the hands of God. One moment, God's face of grace and goodness is set toward Abraham in the passages that we looked at and toward Sarah. And the next moment, we learn that his face turns away and, 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 and sets itself toward a valley with vengeance and with wrath and with judgment instead. Because like our lesson last week, God has two hands. But as we learned last week, the angel of the Lord brings Abraham to the forefront of his conversation. I'm going to pick up where we left off and move right in. Last week, we learned that the angel of the Lord brings Abraham to the forefront of his conversation. And he includes Abraham, or at least Abraham, yeah, Abraham in his decision-making process concerning the city of Sodom, which God was about to bring judgment on. And he says to the other angels this. He says, should I keep what I'm about to do hidden? Or should I reveal my plan to Abraham? Should I keep this thing which I am about to do hidden from my friend? Or should I share with him my secrets? And as we learned last week, and as you know, God reveals to Abraham that which he was hiding in his other hand. He reveals to Abraham the other part of the mission and the other reason which he was sent. And he did it, church, because Abraham was God's friend. Because the Bible we learned last week tells us that God shares his secrets with his friends. And I, 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 wanted, I wanted to touch on that once again just before we moved on to remind you that if you want wisdom, if you want insight, if you want to know God's plan for your life, if you want these secret hidden things to be revealed to you, you need to be his friend. You need to be in right standing with him and walk uprightly before him, just like Abraham did. You need to be a friend of God and not a foe. you got to be a friend to receive the blessings because the foe receives the judgment and the foe receives the wrath. But he, he tells Abraham, he opens up his hand and he begins to reveal this plan to Abraham. And he tells Abraham of the wickedness of the city. He tells Abraham all about the grievousness of the sin that's taking place in the city of Sodom and, and the wrath that is about to be unleashed upon the city. God tells Abraham about the price that the city of Sodom is about to have to pay as a consequence of their sins and the judgment that is about to come. And the price that that city was about to pay was destruction, church, because you know the wages of sin is death. And because we all will reap what we sow, and the city of Sodom was about to reap judgment. They were about to reap wrath, and and God shares this with Abraham. He tells him that, that he's about to unleash something upon the city of Sodom. And keep in mind that Abraham had relatives there. Had a relative there by the name of Lot and some other individuals as well. And he begins to reveal this plan to Abraham. But one of the things that uh, is amazing to me about this story, whether you've ever picked up on it or not or, or, or realized it or not, but one of the amazing things about this story, one of the amazing things about God, when you read this section of Scripture, is that God was not about to judge the city based on another man's word. 
God was not about to judge the city on another man's opinion or another man's uh, information that was passed on to God. And I'm going to explain that as I go. But what I want you to understand, the amazing thing about this passage of Scripture is that God was not about to rely on the word of gossip. God was not about to rely on the word of hearsay. God was not about to rely on the word of slander or any other word that might come from the mouth of man concerning this city and concerning their city. God wasn't about to convict an entire city without evidence. He was not about to bring judgment upon this entire city of Sodom on the word of an accuser alone. He wasn't about to execute judgment in this city until he saw for himself the sin of that city. And if you read verse 21, this is what it says. And this is what I base this truth on. God says... After a report of the wickedness of the city was brought before God, God says to Abraham, I will go for myself, I will go see for myself, if the report that has come to me is true, and if it is not, I will know it, God said. And he says all this because he's a just God, church, and because he's a fair God. And what I want you to understand is that, or understand that it's not that God didn't already know what was going on in the city. Don't think that God wasn't actually aware of the sin and the corruption and the perversion and all of that stuff that was going on in the city. I don't want you to, 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 to think that God isn't all-seeing, and I don't want you to think that God isn't all-knowing. I don't want you to think that, that God was ignorant of what was going on in the lives of those people in the city of Sodom. I don't want you to think that he was unaware of their activities, of their doings and their deeds, and, and all of the, 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 the disgusting things that were going on on in that city. I don't want you to think that, that, God, that anything that was going on in that city was hidden from God's sight, that he couldn't see it for some reason. And after I say all that, then, then the question is, then why did God say, I will go see for myself? Why would God make this comment? Why would it be included in scripture? And I believe with all of my heart, church, God spoke these words simply to remind us that he is a just God. He speaks these words simply to remind us that his judgments are never rash, that his judgments are never thought out, that his judgments are never taken into consideration. He speaks these words about going to see for himself in order to remind us that he doesn't judge on the information of others. He speaks these words simply to remind us that he judges rather upon his own infallible knowledge. His own wisdom and his own knowledge and not on the opinions of others. You see, God's not about to convict you. God's not about to judge you. God's not about to condemn you upon the, the word of another man. And I thank God for that, because if we were to be judged based on someone else's opinion, if we were to be judged based on someone else's accusations that could be lie or could be hearsay, guess what? None of us would be here today. But God spoke those words and said, I will go see for myself simply to remind us that he is a just God and a righteous God and that he will not allow anyone to be accused just by being accused. He'll see for himself basically is what I want us to understand. And this is what he said concerning the city of Sodom, whose sins were so grievous, whose sins were so perverted, whose sins were so gross, he still would not take the word of someone else, I will see for myself. 
Now, I don't know about you, church, but that should be encouraging to us. Because, listen, the devil is the accuser of the brethren. He's up there every single day bringing an accusation against you and bringing an accusation against me. We got people speaking lies against us every single day because they're jealous or because they're envious or because they've been hurt or because whatever. There's lies being spoken about us every single day brought before God himself. There's devils and demons going before the Lord saying, they did this and they did that and he did this and they said that and they're here and they're there. And God says, listen, I'm going to go see for myself because he's not going to judge us based on someone else's opinion because he's a just God and a righteous God. And when he sees for himself, judgment comes. When he sees for himself, then he is just in his judgment, and he is just in his wrath, and he is just in whatever he decides to do concerning that sin that he finds in any one of our lives. It's why he goes and sees for himself, church. And we need to understand that. He will not punish us without just cause. The truth is God will afford us every opportunity to become his friend instead of his foe. He'll extend his hand of grace and mercy time and time and time again. He will do it as long as he possibly can. Because he wants us to be a friend, not a foe. Because he wants to pour out blessings and not curses. Because he cares about us, church, and he cares about his creation. We need to keep that in mind, that he would rather bless us. The second thing I want you to see in this passage of Scripture is that God always provides room for intercession. Because if you look at verse 22 and 23, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll touch on little bits as we go. And I encourage you to at least stay in Genesis as we go along, and you can read it for yourself. But in verses 22 and 23, Abraham, who after hearing God's plan, who after uh, God shares his secret with him and tells him everything that's about to happen and the destruction that's about to come, Abraham stands before the Lord, the Bible says, and he begins to intercede. He stands before the Lord after God tells him what he's going to do to the city, after God tells him about the destruction that's going to come. The Bible says that he yet stands before the Lord. Two angels leave to go destroy the city, and the Bible says, and yet Abraham stood still before the Lord and came near and he begins to intercede and when you read those passages of scriptures all the way uh, from verse 23 or 22 to 32 it's the entire intercession that Abraham is making to God and you know that conversation that's going on he begins to intercede and he says if there are I know this is basically in my words God I know That you're a just God. God, I know that you're a merciful God. I know that whatever you decide to do upon this city, uh, they deserve it if you do it. Because you're just and because you're righteous and because you're a fair God. But he says, he says, but God, if there are 50 righteous people among the city, will you spare the city? I want you to understand that he is interceding for the city here. He might not be down on his knees and doing a whole lot of begging, but he is interceding for this city and says, if there's 50, God, will you spare this city? If there's 45, God, will you spare this city? And God keeps saying yes, if there's 45. If you can go find 45 righteous, and he continues to intercede and intercede 30, or 35, 30, 25, 20. He intercedes all the way down to 10. Even God, if there's only 10 righteous in this city, will you spare not just the righteous, but will you spare the entire city as well? 
He's interceding here before God because God always makes room for intercession, church. Will you spare not just the righteous but the city? And listen, I could preach it. I could preach two weeks just on this one particular thing, this conversation of 10 and 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 because there's something, there's something major going on here. I always wonder why Abraham stopped at 10. I always wonder why that, and I'm going to touch a little bit on this, but listen, my point is this. The point that I want to make is that God always makes room for intercession. No matter what judgment is about to come, no matter how, uh, you know, how horrible uh, the, the situation might be in an individual's life, how, how far away from God they might be, uh, how, how disgusting the things are that are going on in their life. I want you to know that God always makes room for intercession concerning those individuals. He always makes room for us to come and stand before him on behalf of someone else or even ourselves. He always allows us to draw near. He even said, come boldly before my throne room of grace that you might find help in your time of need. But I want you to understand from this passage of Scripture that God always makes room for intercession, church. And it's exactly what Abraham did. Listen, I know, I know that the city still burned after he interceded. I know that the city was still destroyed after he interceded. I know that fire fell down from heaven even after Abraham uh, interceded and that the city was completely destroyed. But here's what I want you to understand, that God's grace extended as far as Abraham was willing to intercede. God's grace concerning that city, and I don't want to get too theological, but God's grace extended as far as Abraham was willing to intercede for those people. Because the reality is God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to everlasting life. The reality is that he allowed, God's grace extended as far as Abraham was willing to intercede because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, would not experience judgment or rash, but that they might experience eternal life. God's grace extended as far as Abraham was willing to intercede because Jeremiah, excuse me, Jeremiah uh, actually, it's Numbers 14, 18 says that the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion, church. If there are only ten righteous, will you spare the city, Abraham said. And then he stopped interceding. He stopped at ten. Listen, my point is, if there were ten righteous in the, in the city, God would have spared it. If there were ten righteous individuals in that city, God would have spared it based on Abraham's intercession. But Abraham stopped at ten. And the reality is, listen, Abraham didn't plead past that number. Why, I don't know. Abraham didn't intercede past the number ten. Why, I don't know. He didn't go lower and say, God, if there's eight, would you spare the city? He didn't say, if there's six, God, would you spare the city? He didn't say, God, if there's, there's, there's only three or two that are righteous, would you spare the entire city? I don't know why he stopped at ten, but I want you to realize that God allowed his grace to go as far as Abraham was willing to intercede. I believe with all of my heart that if Abraham would have gone lower, God would have, uh, God would have heard his plea. God would have weighed the situation differently, but Abraham stopped interceding at 10. 
And the reality is, here's the point that I'm trying to make. Just like Abraham interceded, we need to intercede, church. Just like Abraham was willing to intercede all the way down to 10 or whatever you want to call it, we need to intercede that much as well. And as difficult as it might have been for Abraham to accept, what I want you to see here and what I want you to notice is that Abraham does not take matters into his own hands. I want you to see in this passage of Scripture, he doesn't try to save the city in his own strength, even though he had family there. I want you to realize that, 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 that Abraham didn't get a horse and chariot and run right into the middle of the city to try to spare them. What did he do? He interceded. He didn't get, he, he came before God and he drew near. And I hope you're understanding the point that I'm trying to make. There are individuals in your life that need you to draw near to God and intercede for them because judgment is coming upon their lives. They don't need you to go meddling in their mess. They don't need you to pick up a phone and gossip. They don't need you to get all involved and in a tizzy. They need you to stand still before the Lord and intercede on their behalf. You see, so often, so often we might find ourselves in a situation like Abraham and we think, oh, well, that's family. I better run into the middle of their mess and get my hands dirty and do God's work. Listen, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, but it's not what Abraham did. He interceded. Listen, Abraham understood the best place for him to be when judgment was about to fall in the city was not in the middle of it. The best place for him to be was right beside God interceding on the city's behalf. I say all that because there's some mess in some of your families that you got to get your hands out of and you got to let God do some work. There's some family situations going on in your lives or in some friendships that you have where you got to stop trying to play God and think you can fix it and get yourself before the Lord and start interceding and praying instead of playing around in the middle of the mess. It's the way God works. I'm not God. You're not God. All we got to learn to do is intercede and bring it before God and stand still before Him like Abraham did. This is something that we have to learn, church. Abraham understood the best place for him to be was not in the middle of the city, but right next to God. But so often, like I said, we try to fix things on our own. Instead of standing before the Lord and interceding, we put ourselves in the middle of other people's mess. And guess what? You know as well as I do, usually get burned in the process. Usually get hurt in the process. Usually get overcome and, oh, you wish you never did it. Because we didn't intercede. We interfere rather than interceding. God doesn't call us to interfere. Because the reality is sometimes God has to teach our loved ones a lesson. Sometimes God has to teach someone a lesson. Listen, sometimes God has to reach out with his hand of judgment and wrath into someone's life so that they understand that he's God and to change their life. But so often we go running into the middle of their mess and we start meddling around and God can't do his thing. So I'm telling you, what God wants us to understand from this is that we've got to learn to intercede and stop interfering. 
There's people in every one of our lives, church, who need us to intercede on their behalf. There's people in every single one of our lives that need us to stand up before God and not get mixed up in their mess instead. There's family members, there's friends, there's acquaintances, there's relatives, there's even strangers around us who need our intercession, church. They need someone to stand before the Lord and intercede on their behalf before it's too late, before the hand of God's judgment is delivered into their life. Because God has two hands. It's why we must intercede, church. Because, because God does have two hands. We need to cling to that and we need to understand that. And even though God did not withhold His wrath from the entire city, because there was not enough righteous individuals in the city... I want you to understand that God's grace still finds its way to Lot and his family. Because that's the way God's grace is. God's grace always finds a way. God's mercy always finds a way. It'll find its way into the middle of the worst city in the world. It made its way into the most disgusting city that's recorded in Scripture. Into the middle of Sodom, the most perverse, uh, you know, wicked city recorded in Scripture. And yet God's mercy still found its way into that city. There was an opportunity for some individuals to be spared if they would receive from the hand of God's grace. And this is what we're going to look at as I finish out chapter 18 and go into 19. In Genesis chapter 19. Verses 12 to 14, this is what happens. God's grace finds its way to Lot and his family because before the city burns, before judgment is loosed and released on the city, the Bible tells us that the angels come upon Lot sitting at the city gate. And they go with Lot to his house. And when, they're in their, when, uh, when the angels are in Lot's house, here's where we go from there. Before the angels of destruction do their, do their work, they say to Lot, do you have any other relatives here in the city? Get them out of this place. Sons-in-laws, sons, daughters, or anyone else. You see, his mercy, his grace is, is, is being offered to sons-in-laws, sons, daughters, or anyone else that will respond to this warning. Anyone else that will respond to the word. Anyone else that will respond to this opportunity of mercy and grace. For we will destroy the city completely, for the stench of the place has reached the Lord, and he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot rushed out to tell his sons-in-law, quick, hurry, don't make haste, hurry, quick, get out of the city, for the Lord is going to destroy it. But the young men laughed because they thought he was only joking, the Bible says. And here's the first thing that I want you to see. Last week we talked about a good promise coming out of this hand of God, delivered to Sarah. And what I want you to see is that just like Sarah laughed at God's promise of blessing because she thought it was incredible, just like Sarah laughed at God's promise of blessing because she thought it was so extraordinary, it was too unbelievable, I'm 80 years old, there's no way, just like she laughed at God's promise of blessing, these young men laughed at the promise of God's curse. These men laughed at the promise of God's 
judgment. These men laughed at the promise because it is a promise. Remember, God has good promises and bad promises because God has two hands. And he's revealing both of them to us in Genesis 18 and Genesis 19. But they laughed. It was too ridiculous. They didn't believe it. It was too extraordinary. They couldn't wrap their mind around it like Sarah couldn't wrap theirs around it. And they ignored it. They laughed. They thought he was joking, the Bible says. Just like they laughed at Noah, who brought the same kind of word, they laughed at Lot. And the reality is they still laugh at anyone today who's willing to stand up and put the trumpet to their lips. The reality is this world and this society and humanity laughs at any individual that's willing to stand up and say, God is about to judge this world. God is about to let loose his wrath. God is about to make mankind accountable. God is about to let man reap what they're about to sow. You see, the reality is society laughs at the pastor who preaches against homosexuality. Society laughs at the individual that talks against uh, sexual promiscuity and sleeping around and abortion and all these other things. Society laughs at the Word of God today. It's preposterous, they think. But the reality is it's true nonetheless. Judgment will come nonetheless. And wrath will come nonetheless. And God's destruction will come nonetheless. And it's exactly why we must intercede. Because no matter what the world thinks, no matter what the world says, no matter what the world believes, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, there will be Jesus in the air. And their moment of grace will be over. See, we must intercede. Whether they believe it or not, whether they laugh at it or not, we need to preach it, church, and not just from the pulpit. You need to preach it in your workplace. You need to preach it in your family. You need to preach it in the cafeteria. You need to preach it in the carpool. Now, I'm not saying you take your Bible and you smack the people over their head. I'm telling you, you just find the opportunity to share truth with them because judgment is coming. Introduce them. Yes, absolutely. Introduce them to the hand of God's goodness and blessing. But also let them know that if they don't eat from that hand, they're going to eat from this hand. That's how you've got to do it and and intercede in between. Intercede for them until they actually receive from that moment of grace that God has extended to them, church. Like Sarah laughed, these men laughed. They didn't believe it and they shunned it. Society laughs today. But the urgency must still remain. I want you to look at the urgency that Lot ran out with. Quick, hurry, get out of this city for the Lord's going to destroy it. And, and even though they laughed and even though they mock and even though they don't believe, I want us to understand that our urgency to tell the truth, our urgency to tell them of God's coming judgment, church, must remain. We must still give attention to the urgency of letting others know. That destruction is certainly coming upon this earth, church. Because this earth, just like Sodom and Gomorrah, is filled with stench. This earth, just like Sodom and Gomorrah, is filled with perversion. It's filled with homosexuality. It's filled with abortion and abominations. It's filled with treachery. It's filled with violence. It's filled with sexual uh, indulgences. It's filled with greed and with lust and with envy and all these other things that grieve the heart of God. And God will bring judgment upon those things, church. And it's why we must intercede and it's why we must warn. Because fire one day will fall and we can't forget it. Listen to what he said. Do you have any relatives? 
Do you have any family? Do you have any sons or daughters that aren't right with God? Do you have anyone messing around in this city? Or anyone else that you know? Anyone else that you care about? That need to be rescued from God's coming wrath. It's what, it's what the angels were saying to Lot. Do you have anyone? And if you do, get them out. If you do, he said, get them out quickly. Because I have no idea what God's about to unleash in their life. The angel said, tell them. The angel said, warn them. And listen, I hope you understand that the angels are talking to you and me today. The same exact word. Do you have any relatives? Do you have any family? Do you have any loved ones or anyone else that you know is going to face God's judgment if they don't get it right? Then get to them quickly. The Bible is saying, get to them and warn them and make them aware of what's coming, church. But the young men ignored the word. The young men didn't heed God's warning. They didn't believe God's word. They didn't take what was offered to them from the hand of God's grace at that moment. And they continued on in their own ways, the Bible says. And because of it, they suffered. Listen, the angels issued their warning. Abraham interceded. Lot sounded the alarm. The face of grace was turned in these young men's, young men's direction for a moment in time, giving them an opportunity. But they looked away and they laughed, the Bible says. And the world is exactly the same. God extends a moment of grace. God extends a moment of opportunity. And the world turns away and they laugh. They think we're fools. And the reality is, you know as well as I do, that the hardest ones to preach to are family The hardest ones to break through to are family. And I believe with all of my heart it's probably one of the main reasons Abraham stood there and prayed before the Lord. Because he might have reached out other times. He might have preached and prophesied and spoke all other things into their life. And they might have laughed at him once before. So he felt the best thing I can do is go before God and intercede. And see if his mercy or or grace will extend any farther. So then here's what happens after they laugh. After they ignore his warning. In Genesis 19.15, it says, At dawn the next morning, the angels became insistent with Lot. Hurry, they said. And I'm adding this. No one else wants to listen. So hurry, Lot, and get your family out. No one else wants to obey. So get your family and get out. Hurry, Lot. No one else wants to respond to my word. No one else wants to go. No one else wants to live. The angels are saying, so grab your family and get out. Get as far away from here as you can go, Lot, and get out. Hurry. Take your wife and your two daughters who are here. I mean, if you know, you better worry about the ones that are right beside you. You can worry about all those out there in the world. You can worry about this. You can worry about that. But you better worry about those ones that are right with you. You better worry about the ones in your home. You better worry about your wife. You better worry about your husband. You better worry about your kids that are right here. And make sure they're protected. But get out right now, he says, or you will be caught in the destruction of the city. The next verse says, but when Lot hesitated, the angels seized his hand and the hands of his wife and two daughters and rushed them to safety outside of the city, for the Lord was merciful. How many of you are grateful for God's mercy? 
How many of you are grateful for that hand of mercy that reached down at some point in your life when you were stubborn and I was stubborn and it grabbed a hold of you and it pulled you out of your mess and it pulled you out of your miry clay, pulled you out of your city of sin and put you on a right path. That's how great God's mercy is, church. Listen, if it weren't for God's mercy reaching out and grabbing a hold of you somewhere in your life, you wouldn't be here right now. If it wasn't for God's hand of mercy reaching down and grabbing me and pulling me aside, I wouldn't be here tonight because that's how powerful God's mercy is. And it was the same mercy that was reaching out into the city of Sodom. As corrupt as it was and violent as it was, God's hand of mercy still reached out. It's how awesome our God is. But here, listen, here's where I'm going to really start focusing on Lot. Here in the midst of this urgent warning, here in the midst of this pending judgment, here with fire about to fall from the sky and consume the land, what does Lot do? He doesn't laugh. He doesn't mock. He doesn't mimic Sarah or he doesn't mimic the others, his sons-in-laws, but he does something just as dangerous. The Bible says he hesitates. The Bible says that he lingers, you can say. He procrastinates. He fiddles around instead of making haste. He, he looks for another way out instead of the way God had spoke to him, church. And if it weren't for God's mercy, he would have burned himself. The Bible says he hesitated, so God's mercy had to pull him out himself because he wasn't willing to move when God said move. And see, listen. I hope you understand that God's hand of mercy is upon us more times than we even realize. God speaks something into your life and you don't do it, so He has to reach down and move you Himself. He has to reach into that moment of time in your life and steer you or direct you or pull you out. And a lot of times we don't even realize it. A lot of times we don't even know it, church. But this is what happened here a lot. He hesitated. I know, listen... I know that some of you might say, well, he hesitated because he had family in the city. Here's my point. I know he had family in the city. I'm sure he was thinking about his sons-in-laws. I'm sure he was thinking about his daughter's husbands. I'm sure he was thinking about nephews and, and other relatives. I'm sure it was on his mind at church. But the reality is when God speaks, you and I better act. I don't care if it's family or not. When God tells you to do something and get out and get away, you better not let anyone keep you in the city because even family can take you to hell. Even your best friend can take you to hell. When God speaks and says move, you better move. When He says run, you better run. When He says jump, you better say how high because He's wanting to get you away from something. Family and friends can lead you straight to hell. I don't care how much you love. I know he loved his family. But God said judgment is coming and you better get out. Don't tarry and wait. Don't linger and think you can make a personal difference. When God says move, you better move. Because if you don't, you're in the way. And if you don't, you're going to get burned yourself. We must learn that, church. He hesitates. Look at it. God spoke clearly. The Bible says he was insistent with Lot. He didn't stutter. 
He didn't speak in some long parable. He didn't speak in some language Lot didn't understand. The Bible says that he was insistent and still dopey old little Lot had to think about it. Just like we do sometimes, church. We're the same exact way. Fire's about to fall down on our lives and we ask ourselves, should I run? God says, run, run. It's that easy. But we're just like Lot sometimes. God says this and we think, well, maybe I got a better plan. We think, well, maybe I, maybe I got a better idea. We think, well, is God really going to do that? Well, if I'm here, maybe God won't. Maybe if I enter, you understand what I'm saying, church? I'm just telling you, when God says, run, run, don't stop, don't hesitate. When God makes it that clear, you better do what he said to do. Fire's about to fall. And look, church, fire's about to fall in the city of Sodom, and he tries to weigh out all of his options. He wondered if there was a better way besides God's way. He wondered if there was another way besides God's way. He hesitated, the Bible says, and it could have cost him his life. But like I said, God's mercy intervened. Listen, when God speaks, there's no time to hesitate. When God makes himself clear, as clear as it was here, there's no time to fiddle-faddle around or weigh out our options because I want you to understand there was no options when God spoke to Lot here. The only option there was was live or die. Nothing in between. And the reality is so often we think that there's an option when there's not. The only option that Abraham or Lot had at this point was live or die, run or burn, be blessed or cursed. That's the only option that he had. When God speaks that clearly into your life, listen to me. There is no option whether to be blessed or be cursed. There is no middle ground. Now see, realize... If he doesn't speak clearly, you better intercede. If you don't hear his voice clearly, you better get some direction before you do move. But when God speaks clearly, you better get up off your backside and make it move toward the hills. Because this is exactly what Lot was told to do. Get out of here and head for the hills. But he didn't. He hesitated. He thought he had a better plan. Thought he could come up with a better idea, better option, but we need to understand. Instead of responding with fear and trembling, instead of hearkening unto the voice of God, Lot wondered if there was another way besides God's way. And so often we're just like that when God speaks into our life. Now, hurry, this moment, today is the day of salvation. Now, and we think, okay, maybe tomorrow, God. Maybe next week, God. Maybe when this happens, God, or that happens, God. Or maybe when I feel a little bit better. Maybe when this, or maybe when that. Maybe I've got one more said. There's some individuals, listen, they think, maybe I've got one more second to sin before God's judgment comes. And they forget all along that in a moment, the Bible says, In a split second, in the twinkling of an eye, in the blinking of an eye, the heavens will part and the angel of the Lord will descend with a shout and that second will have cost them their life. 
That one second will have cost them eternity with the Father, church. And judgment during the tribulation will have fallen upon them. Listen, when God says, go, go. When God says, run, run, church. We don't have the, we don't have the luxury of hesitating. The reality is, when you and I hesitate, hesitation has the power to, to run you right through hell. Hesitation has the power to take you straight to hell, too. When God speaks, we must act, church. Like I said, if it weren't for the mercy of God and the angels physically removing Lot, he would have burned as well. Because it says, the angels seized their hands and rushed them to safety outside of the city, for Lot, for the Lord was merciful. But the story doesn't end there, and I'm going to begin winding this down. Because part of, uh, part, God did his part up to this point. God extended his hand of mercy. God grabbed a hold of him and he pulled him out. God gave him direction. God told him what to do. He pulled him out of the city and he brought him to safety. But the story doesn't stop there because God did his part, but Lot still had something to do. God pulled him out, but Lot had a long way to go. The reality is God pulled him from the city of sin, but Lot still had to get to the mountains. God told him to get out and run to the mountain. He hesitated. He fiddle-faddled around, so God pulled him out of the city just to, just to get him out of the city. But Lot still had to get himself to the mountain. And the reality is so often we act like Lot this way. You know, there's work still to be done, church. What you and I need to realize is God does his part, but we got to do our part as well. You can't think, okay, well, God's brought me out of this mess. God's brought me out of this city. God's got me out of my pig pen. God, God, God brought me out of darkness and everything's done now. Listen, the reality is there's still a race that has to be run. There's still a, there's still a battle that has to be fought. There's still a mountain that has to be climbed. Like Lot had to climb a mountain to get to safety. There's still a crown that needs to be won. God does his part, but we got to do our part as well. There's too many individuals sitting around waiting for someone else to do their job, waiting for someone else to run their race, or waiting for God to do all the work for them. But that's not how God operates. We must do what God said. But look, here's what he says. Run for your lives in verse 17. Do not, and here's where the title of my message comes. I had to wait all the way to the end for you to get my title. He says, run for your lives and do not stop anywhere in the valley run for your lives and do not stop in the valley and don't look back escape to the mountains or you will die but again lot reveals his i'll say foolishness he reveals again his buffoonery because what does lot do instead of what god tells him to do he gets dumb and dumber he says run for your lives." listen run for your lives is the warning head for the hills is the command that God speaks to him. And here's where I'm going to start closing this. But Lot says this in return. Verse 18. And it sounds just like us in different words. Oh no, Lord. Oh no, my Lord, please. You have been so kind to me. Notice how he's buttering up God. You have been so kind to me and saved my life, and you have granted me such mercy. He at least recognizes the mercy and the grace. But I cannot go to the mountain to which you send me, for disaster would catch up to me there, and I would soon die. 
Like the one who tells you to go to the mountains can't keep you. I mean, you know, God tells him, and he's telling God that he can't keep his word here is exactly what he's telling him. Disaster would catch up to me there and I would soon die. See, there is a small village nearby. Please let me go there instead. Don't you see how small it is? Then my life would be saved. And I am amazed at this conversation that's going on with Lot and and, and, and the angel of the Lord. Because this is what he's saying. He's saying, look what he said. Please let me go there instead. Instead of your plan, God, how about my plan? Instead of your will, God, how about my will? Instead of your design and your direction, how about mine, God? Instead of, instead of your desires, how about my desires, God? Doesn't that sound like us? How about instead of me doing what you want me to do, instead of me trusting you and having faith in you and having confidence in you, instead of all of that, God, how about I do this? And we, and here's what he begins negotiating with God. God tells him to do something and he begins negotiating. Please let me go there and said, don't you see how small it is? Then my life will be saved. And look at what he's saying. He's saying, God, your plan's not good enough to save me. If you let me go there instead, then my life will be saved. If I follow your plan, God, I'm going to die. If I follow your plan, I'm going to perish. If I follow your plan, God, it's going to hurt me. It's going to upset me. So let me do my thing, God, and then I will be saved. How ludicrous is this? I cannot, and we do the same exact thing, church. Let me, and here's another thing that he's saying. Your plan's not as brilliant as mine because you've overlooked something, God. Your vision doesn't seem to be as clear as my vision. See that little city there, God? I think you overlooked that, God, because if you saw it, you would have told me to go there instead. And we act like God can't see. We act like God is oblivious. We act like God's design isn't perfect. We act like we know more than God, see more than God, understand more than God. This is exactly what he was saying. Your plan doesn't have enough vision, God. And we do the same exact thing. And we begin to negotiate with God. You see, you looked over that. Please let me do my thing and then my life will be saved. And guess what? God let him do it. You want to know why? Because God won't force you to do anything. God will let you settle for as little as you want of him in your life. You see, the reality is, listen to me. Lot could have had a mountain, but he settled for a little tiny village instead. He could have made it to the mountain. You see, David understood this. He said, I shall set my eyes into the hills. He's talking about a mountain. From whence cometh my help, because my help comes from the Lord. You see, Lot could have found himself on a rock. He could have gone to the mountain. He could have had a mountain, but he, he, he wanted this little tiny little village instead. You see, here's what I want you to understand. We know that God will let us settle for whatever we want. God will allow us to get the raw end of the deal if it's what we try to negotiate. Listen, every time you negotiate with God, you're going to get the raw end of the deal. If you get your way, you're losing. If I get my way, I'm getting the short end of the stick. If you and I get what we want, 
We're losing in the bargaining process. So it's, I mean, why try to negotiate with God? Just listen to him because he's got the best in store for us. But yet this is exactly what we do in our own rinky-dink mind. We try to do the same exact thing with God that Lot did. We negotiate. We try to wheel and deal with the creator of the universe. The clay tries to tell the potter what to do, how to do it, and when to do it. That's exactly what Lot was doing. I'm going to close with this. I'm bringing this to the close. This is what he said. Just let me go to that little village nearby. See how little it is? See how small it is is the interpretation? And I always wonder why God's people want to settle for less than what God has in store for them. I always wonder why, and me included, why we settle for less than what God has in store for us. And this is what God says. He could have had the mountain, but he gives them, he settles for less instead. And this is what the angel of the Lord says. All right, the angel says, I'll grant you your request because God will let us settle. God will allow us to have less than he wants for us. He won't push us. He won't force us. He won't force us into victory if we don't want it. won't force us into blessing if we don't want it. He allows us to make our own foolish decisions. But he says, I will not destroy that little village. But hurry, for I can do nothing until you are there. He says hurry again because I just keep thinking Lot's just loafing. Something. He's still not quick about it. You know, he hesitated. He's negotiating. You know, if you got kids... Boy, it's the same. Kids always delay. Tell them to do delay, 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 delay. Start another conversation just to keep from doing what you want them to do. I think this is, you know, the angel of the Lord's reading through all of this with Lot. He says, I'll give you, but hurry for I can do nothing until you are there. And from that time on, and this is the most important thing I want you to see. From that time on, that village was known as Zoar, meaning little or small. Here's what I close with. From that time on, before this moment, before Lot begins to negotiate, before Lot settles for less than what he can have, before that time, the city didn't have a name. It had no identity. But I want you to know that it was identified with Lot's attitude. Here's what happens. It means little, it means small. And from that moment on, from the moment Lot settled for less, the city was called Zoar, meaning little, meaning small, and meaning insignificant. And the reality is, the saddest part of the story is that Lot could have been great, but he settled for less. Lot could have been great, but he ended up being insignificant and small. Lot could have had an amazing testimony, could have had an amazing legacy, could have had an amazing ministry, but he settled for less. He ended up insignificant, little, and small. When he could have had this awesome legacy, he could have, had this, he could have been someone recorded in the hall of faith. But he settled for less. And the reality is we can do the same exact thing. God has called us to a high place. God has called us to be seated in heavenly places. God has called us to be sons and daughters of the Most High God. And if we don't answer that call, church, we're going to be little, small, and insignificant. Unless we respond to the Word of God. Unless we go all the way with God. See, that was Lot's problem. He only went halfway. He stopped in the valley. That's why the title of my message is, Do Not Stop in the Valley, because when you do, you'll be insignificant. When you do, you'll be small. When you do, you'll be overlooked. You won't matter that much in the kingdom of God. But when you're willing to go all the way with God, your life becomes big. Your life becomes great. Your life becomes significant. So I end with this. If you want to be significant in the kingdom of God, if you want to be big in the kingdom of God, 
If you don't want to be small and insignificant and you're willing to go all the way with God, then I just want you to stand to your feet because we're going to close and just we're going to say, God, this this is my heart's desire. I'm going to go all the way with you this year, God. I'm going to go all the way to the mountain. I'm going to do what you call me to do. I'm not going to hesitate and I'm not going to negotiate. I'm going to do what you tell me to do and I'm going to go all the way with you because I don't want to be small, God. How many of you want to be big? Amen. Then make that your prayer. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truths. Above all the things that I gather from this word, God, I, get, I, I, I just hear all about your mercy and all about your grace. How time after time after time you reached out and you extended it. You extended it to a city. You extended it to relatives. You extended it to sons and, and sons-in-laws. In the midst of all of the debauchery and all of the wickedness and all of the perversion that was going on, your grace and your mercy found a way. Your grace and your mercy reached out for anyone that was willing to receive it. And I thank you for that, God, and I praise you for that. So if there's anyone here tonight, God, that needs your mercy and needs your grace, I pray that they would find it. I pray if there's anyone here tonight, Father God, that needs to come out from among them and be separate, that they would do it. That they would not hesitate, that they would not try to negotiate, but that they would do exactly what you've called them to do. My prayer tonight, God, is that every single one of us would not stop in the valley. I pray, Father God, that we would just run and run and run. I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you would allow us to be great by going all the way with you. Help us, Father God, to not be like Lot who hesitates. Help us to not be like Lot who tries to negotiate, who thinks that our plan is better than your plan. Help us to yield ourselves completely to you and submit ourselves to you so that we can be great and not small and insignificant. I thank you for your word tonight, God. I thank you for your power and your spirit. Guide us through this week. Keep us in your care and keep us going for Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. We just bless the Lord as we always do, church. If you have a special need, as always, I'll tarry and pray with you. Otherwise, go, run, and don't stop in the valley.